This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Israel has released its military plans for the Gaza Strip, proving that it has no intention of occupying the area on a permanent basis. It appears that Israel's precision attacks have been effective. The Hamas leaders associated with the October 7th attack were successfully killed. The story of two family members of a Hamas patriarch is quite interesting, and BLM's support for Hamas has drawn criticism and has deterred large corporations that support BLM from taking a high profile. Surprisingly, BLM members do think differently from one another. There are even those who support conservatives, which is similar to how these two Hamas family members criticize Hamas behavior. I'll accepted the plea agreement, but what did President Trump have to say about this? The Republican Party, after a lengthy investigation, finally found ample evidence that shows that Joe Biden can hardly deny that he has been firmly involved in his family's corrupt business. Okay, let's get into it. On Saturday, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant unveiled the Israeli Army's battle plan and objectives in the Gaza Strip. He said that the battle would be divided into three main phases. In the first phase, military operations were initiated by airstrikes. This was followed by ground operations aimed at defeating and destroying Hamas by neutralizing its operatives and destroying its infrastructure. In the second phase, efforts will be made to neutralize sporadic resistance. This will be a continuation of the first phase, but at a lower level of intensity. The third phase will be to establish a new security regime in the Gaza Strip. This is the ultimate goal of the Israeli army. This shows that Israel has no plans to control the Gaza Strip for the long term after removing Hamas, but Gallant did not say who Israel wants to govern Gaza when Hamas is overthrown, nor did he say what the new security regime would entail. So far, the first phase of the Israeli army's efforts seem to have been quite effective. The deputy commander of the Hamas rocket force and dozens of terrorists were killed in an overnight attack in Gaza. Major General Daniel Hagari, a spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, said at a media briefing on Sunday. The Safa News Agency, which is associated with Hamas, stated that Talal al-Hindi, a field commander of the Al-Qazam Brigades, was killed in an airstrike on his home in central Gaza along with his wife and daughter. The Al-Qazam Brigade is the military wing of Hamas. It was this armed organization that led the October 7th raid against Israel that killed more than 1,400 Israelis. According to Al Jazeera, the Israeli airstrike targeted Hindi's house in the central Gaza corridor. Witnesses said that dozens of people were buried under the wreckage of the house after the attack. All Hindi's death was reported just days after fellow Hamas commander Jihad Maisen was killed along with his family in an Israeli airstrike on his home in Gaza City. The IDF approved the expanded battle plan and it said that they will soon launch the announced ground offensive. Glant said that Israel's upcoming ground offensive in the Gaza Strip may last months. However, this would be the final blow against the armed group in the Gaza corridor, Glant said at the Israeli Air Force's command center in Tel Aviv. It will take a month, two months, three, but in the end, there will be no Hamas. Hassan Youssef 
Hamas's spokesman on the west bank of the Jordan River was arrested by Israel on Thursday on charges of allegedly acting on behalf of Hamas. Hassan Youssef is a leading Palestinian political figure with a seat on the Palestinian Legislative Council, and he is a founding father of Hamas. This is not the first time Yusuf has been arrested by the Israeli army. He has repeatedly spent a total of 24 years in Israeli prisons for multiple counts of sedition, unauthorized entry into Jerusalem, and being a member of Hamas. Yusuf has also appeared frequently in the international media, telling the Canadian media outlet The Globe and Mail this week that Hamas would be prepared to release some 200 hostages that they are holding if Israel agreed to a 24-hour ceasefire in order to allow aid into Gaza. Yusuf is better known for his surprising stories of his family members. The son of the Hamas leader that we talked about last week, who exposed Hamas's shady practices at the United Nations, is his eldest son, Masab Hassan Yusuf. Masab originally worked as his father's assistant following his father around. Masab was expected to inherit his father's position in Hamas, but he converted to Christianity in 2007. He left the Gaza corridor for the United States and criticized Hamas in public interviews after 2008. Masab provided intelligence to the Israeli National Security Agency from 1997 to 2007, working under the code name the Green Prince. Green is the color of Islam. Prince means that he is the son of an important leader. He used his father's position as a staff member to obtain valuable information that enabled Israel to stop suicide bombers and to block other attacks. Ben Yitzhak, an Israeli intelligence agent who was in contact with Mossab at the time, has said that in the past, Israel knew very little about Hamas as an organization. It was not until Mossab came on board that Israel had the opportunity to understand what was going on in the minds of the Hamas leaders. Mossab's story was later made into a documentary, The Green Prince. He also published a book, Sons of Hamas. After the revelation that Masab was acting as an Israeli spy, his father declared that he had severed ties with Masab. Then Masab was granted asylum in the United States and he settled in California. One of Masab's younger brothers has also taken the path of betraying Hamas. Yusuf's youngest son, Husseib Hassan Yusuf also broke away from Hamas in 2019. He claimed to be disgusted by the terror of Hamas fighters and the corruption of Hamas officials. In an interview on Israeli television, he criticized Hamas as a coalition of terrorists. Saheb was sent by Hamas to Turkey to collect intelligence. When he arrived, he realized that the Hamas personnel are well paid and they live a life of luxury. A single lavish meal out of these Hamas personnel could cost half a month's salary for the average person in Gaza. They also hired bodyguards to get them in and out of the country. So he didn't think that Hamas was genuinely concerned about the Palestinian people. They send the information that they gather to Iran in exchange for weapons or gold. In July of 2019, Saheb secretly left Turkey and he arrived in a country in Asia and he openly criticized Hamas. He said that he does not hate Jews 
and that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict all stems from a power struggle. Saheb's comments made the Hamas family furious. Hamas criticized him as a traitor and they suspected him of being an Israeli informant. But Saheb denied it completely and he cut off ties with his big brother Masab, claiming that he would never cooperate with Israel. Black Lives Matter is controversial for its support of Hamas. This controversy further affects companies that support Black Lives Matter. Coca-Cola deleted a paragraph on its website that supported Black Lives Matter. This happened after Senator Ted Cruz made reference to the Coca-Cola website and he tied its support of Black Lives Matter to the backing of Hamas. An archived version of the Coca-Cola-owned Sprite website page used to say, Earlier this month, Sprite announced a $500,000 contribution to the Black Lives Matter global network in a social post committing action in the fight for racial justice. On June 28th, the brand debuted a new TV commercial during the 2020 BET Awards telecast showcasing Black America's resilience, excellence, and optimism. The 60-second spot titled Dreams Realized emphasizes Sprite's commitment to making young black creators' dreams a reality and to inspire the next generation to do more and dream bigger. The current version of the webpage, however, omitted this paragraph. Changes were made to the webpage on October 20th and October 21st, according to archive.org records. Cruz wrote on X, Editing your website is not enough. Americans demand an apology. So should we now boycott Coca-Cola? But people are complicated. There are pro-conservatives in the BLM group, even pro-President Trump people. Mark Fisher, the co-founder of BLM Rhode Island and the founder and executive director of the Maryland-based BLM Incorporated, is voicing his support for the January 6th prisoners and he is not shying away from endorsing President Trump as the best candidate we have. He has stood in solidarity with leaders of the Proud Boys and he has led vigils of prayer for the people that he believes to be political prisoners. Fisher said their lambs led to slaughter to be sacrificed as an example for all who might want to dissent in the future. This is what the government does to those who express independent thought and who want to stand up for what they believe in. He sees similarities between the retaliatory treatment of J6 prisoners and the treatment of black people in the past. Fisher said, one of the things I highlight when I speak to them is that they have a whole new understanding now of what black people have been going through with the over-policing, the police brutality, and the unfair treatment in the two-tiered justice system and how oppressive and overreaching it is. Fisher believes that because of media distortion, people misunderstand the original intent of the BLM mission. He said, it's not black lives are better, it's not black lives are greater, or black lives matter more. It's just simply black lives matter. That statement itself is so loaded that people have processed it differently through their own lens and experience. Fisher is a Christian with a degree in theology and a background in ministry. 
He does not consider BLM to be an organization that believes in Marxism, at least the BLM organization that he founded is not. Fisher's current organization, BLM Incorporated, focused on entrepreneurship, education, and financial empowerment for black Americans. He doesn't have a high opinion of the Democrats or the Republicans. He believes that the Democratic Party is a racist party whose racist policies have negatively impacted black families. He said that the policies of the Democratic Party are absolutely antithetical to what black people yearn for in this country, which is life, liberty, freedom, the pursuit of happiness, and a family to raise. Fisher is equally distrustful of the Republican Party, which he says is itself a corrupt institution. He said this is why Donald Trump is so popular. He's anti-institution. He can't be bought. He can't be sold. He's going to give it to you straight and keep it real. And those who relate to that love that about him. If you look at both parties and the potential candidates, including the current president and vice president, I think he's the best candidate we have. It's a no-brainer. Fisher said that President Trump has helped the black community 100%. He also said if you look at his policies, what he has done for our community has gone under the radar and he doesn't brag about it. And as a result, President Trump is getting more and more support from blacks. More and more black people every day are supporting him. Look at the rappers. The latest one who just went turncoat on the Democrats was Waka Flocka Flame, who announced on Twitter that he's voting for Trump. On Sunday, President Trump responded to attorney Sidney Powell's guilty plea in the Fulton County, Georgia election case. President Trump wrote, Sidney Powell was one of millions and millions of people who thought, and in ever-increasing numbers still think, correctly, that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. President Trump clarified that Sidney Powell was never his attorney. He wrote, despite the fake news reports to the contrary, and without even reaching out to ask the Trump campaign, Miss Powell was not my attorney and never was. In fact, she would have been conflicted. This was also confirmed by Powell's lawyer who said she did not represent President Trump or the Trump campaign because she never signed an engagement agreement to be their attorney in an official capacity. And Powell's name has never appeared in any of President Trump's court filings related to the election case. There is a reason for this misunderstanding about Sidney Powell's identity. Nearly three years ago, President Trump announced on Twitter that Powell would be joining his legal team. She also appeared at a November 2020 press conference with former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and fellow attorney Jenna Ellis. Later in 2020, President Trump's campaign released a statement saying that Powell was practicing law on her own adding that she was not a member of the Trump legal team. She was never a lawyer for President Trump in his personal capacity either. Harry Silverglate, an attorney for John Eastman, who is one of the co-defendants, told the Epoch Times that he believes that Powell is definitely innocent. He said, this is how prosecutors operate. They charge, they overcharge, including charging innocent people. The Republican investigation into Joe Biden has finally found conclusive evidence of Biden's misbehavior. Representative James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, has released evidence of a questionable direct payment 
to President Joe Biden as part of Comer's corruption investigation into Joe Biden and his family members. The evidence is a bank record of a $200,000 personal check to Biden for a loan repayment that was issued by his brother and sister-in-law, James and Sarah Biden, that was dated March 1st, 2018. This direct payment could be the strongest evidence yet that Joe Biden has been directly involved in his family's business dealings. Comer said in an October 20th statement, this summer, Joe Biden said, where's the money? Well, we found some. While Comer's committee had earlier released more than 20 pieces of evidence linking the president to the business dealings of his son, Hunter Biden, this disclosure really rises to the level of a smoking gun. Specifically, the date shown on the check to President Biden, March 1st, 2018, is the same day that AmeriCorps wired a $200,000 loan to the personal bank accounts of James Biden and Sarah Biden. And the background to this $200,000 repayment loan is that court documents show that James Biden received a $600,000 loan from AmeriCorps based on the fact that his last name, Biden, would open doors. Comer said, even if this was a personal loan repayment, it's still troubling that Joe Biden's ability to be paid back by his brother depended on the success of his family's shady financial dealings. Comer asked Biden to prove that he had lent such a large sum of money to his brother. And he asked Biden to disclose the terms of the financial agreement between them. The federal judge in President Trump's 2020 election case agreed to lift the gag order temporarily. The ruling gives lawyers time to prove why President Trump's comments should not be restricted as the case heads towards trial. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin said that the gag order would remain on hold for now. While she considers President Trump's bid to speak freely about the case while he challenges the restrictions in higher courts. Meanwhile, last week, President Trump scored another victory against allegations over the promotion of his marketing business. The win came after a federal judge refused to certify the ongoing lawsuit as a class action lawsuit. The case was alleging that President Trump defrauded individuals in promoting a multi-level marketing venture. The complaint, which was filed in 2018, focused on President Trump's company, ACN, which sold telecommunications products as well as two other companies. U.S. District Judge Lorna G. Schofield rejected the racketeering charges and she ruled that putative class members lacked certain common elements in bringing the case. Schofield wrote, here, there is no common evidence showing that putative class members decided to enroll because of Trump's alleged misstatements. The case is headed for trial on January 29th, but not as a class action suit. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.